A word of warning. Today we are chatting about Castlevania Season 2 and things are bound to get rowdy. Obviously, language abounds. See you on the other side. forgot to Welcome warn them to- about all the blood and gore and what? violence and stuff. Well, they would have had to, they would know that They, but you from watching you. the show. Yeah, but what about uh, when we get violent with each other, with our words? Why are we, why are we doing this before we do the, the. Welcome the- to Words and Whiskey Short Boys, <laughs> a month, mostly monthly podcast where we have a fun time discussing fictional worlds and the people that create them, all while boozing just a little bit. My name is Cross, and today I'm joined with PJ, and we're going to be chatting about the big, bad, bitey video game adaptation, Castlevania. Specifically, season two. My name's Cross. A big shout out, of course, again to our patron, Thor. My name's Cross. Yeah, I know, but I have to rewire the the miswiring. God damn it. Someone has to do the work here. (laughs) And a big shout out, additionally, for sponsoring the coverage of season three and four, you sick bastard, you. (laughs) Oh, oh, we're doing Uh, three and four now also? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you paid for the couple of months, so it's like, fine, I'll do it. I don't care. This is great. I'm having a fun time. So thank you so much. And we also are super psyched to talk about this and hope that you enjoy it. You, too, out there can sponsor an episode of either Short Pours or PJ Symposium by joining at the private party tier on our Patreon. So We're always always happy about it. Always looking forward to it. I found an amazing TV show in this that I was planning on watching season three and four. On my own, but now I get to watch it and talk about it with you. Whoop, whoop. Cool. All right. So before we get too far into this, let's talk about what we're drinking. We're we're just doing a little a little bit today. But what are you having, Peach? I just have mezcal mm-hmm. in a glass, and then I also have coffee. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. I I do. What type of mezcal? What's it taste like? What's give me give me tasting notes? I haven't tasted it yet. <laughs> Ooh, this could be dangerously bad. We'll we'll find out. We'll find out. Okay, there it is. So, right at the beginning, very very like noticeable lack of anything smoky at all. Um, mm-hmm. That comes through in like an aftertaste, and then like on sort of exhale. I, I'm not <laughs> I'm not as well versed with tequilas and mezcals to be able to like really talk about them. Right on the nose, there's almost. Like a chlorine taste, which mm. isn't super pleasant, but overall it tastes good. Nice. Yeah. Cool. What That's are sweet. you drinking? I, you know what? I called it a martini inside of our, our little description here that I wrote. It's not exactly a martini, but it is pretty close in, in a couple of different ways. So what I'm having is vodka, triple sec, and bitters with a squeeze of lemon over top. So it's not exactly a martini, but it is, by most technicalities, very close. Yeah. In class. It tastes really good. I'm, I'm actually a little bit I'm surprised that it all worked out, but I basically followed the ratios and like just toned down the the triple sec considerably versus what you would typically add vermouth for. And it kind of, you know, I would say, what's the, what's the drink that's super similar to this with Campari and rum? I mean, Jungle Bird is kind of close, but that actually has yeah. lime in it. But the, you you can do all kinds of things playing around with some of the cordials, especially in mostly blank palate like vodka. So 
that makes sense. Yeah. It's not bad. It's pretty good. Sounds good. Might have to I so, have triple sec and vodka and bitters. Yeah, it's so it's easy. I and then two ice cubes is what I dropped in, stirred it, and you know, let those melt. That was it. Pretty nice. good. Mm-hmm. Not bad. Cool. All right. And I have coffee. I also have coffee. We're both drinking coffee. It's not like we're doing this in the morning for the record. It's 6 p.m. here. I'm just tired. <laughs> so I wanted yep. coffee. Yep. Same. Yeah. So cool. All right. Well, with that, let's get into the summary here of Castlevania Season 2. So, following the aftermath of the destruction and subsequent saving of Greshit from Season 1, Season 2 finds Sifa, Alucard, and Trevor Belmont attempting to stop Dracula from committing genocide against humanity. Meanwhile, in Dracula's camp, we're introduced to his generals, focusing on Isaac, Carmilla, Hector, and Godbrand, each with their own penchant for violence and motivations within that camp. Political hijinks ensue, and many deaths occur. Blood, gore, all over the place. PJ, what'd you what'd you think of season two overall? I it was a masterpiece. <laughs> like the the story was really well weaved. Animation is obviously on point. I I, I feel cheated out of a childhood having not played Castlevania <laughs> at this point. Hmm. That's interesting because I I think I'd say I said this last time. They they're while very good games, not as remarkable. I mean, there's still like a touchstone of gaming. So like that's it's a little wrong of me to say that. But I think you're putting a lot on that, which is super cool okay. because that means that the show had a crazy impact. Yeah, it did. if that makes sense, <laughs> because I wouldn't imprint that same impact back onto those games, if that makes sense. Fair enough. Um, but that's super cool because you being excited to go back and play those games. They're still really fun. And I, I've got a lot of stuff that I want to talk about from the games and from the stories that just felt like they did such a good job of representing throughout this whole thing. So that's mm-hmm. cool. Glad you liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. In particular, one of the big things that I think leveled up between seasons of the show is the the telegraphing of fighting so one of the bigger problems that i have in a lot of animation not all but like a lot of animation anime even video games is that everything can go really quickly and then you just get the internal dialogue of like oh well i'm gonna do this or like i'm gonna you know make this move and like immediately do this to counter them and there was just that like stop and breathe moment every time when a blow hits that like you saw whomever was swinging next taking a second to like counter adjust especially near the end of the season i just i love that mm-hmm. similar or i guess in that same vein uh, trevor's fight with all of the demons that were coming through yeah it was just a one after another after another instantly mm-hmm. as opposed to getting overwhelmed allowed for those back and forth combats to happen really naturally mm-hmm. and I, I wasn't sure if that was a an artifact of the video game that it's adapting or if it was just more convenient storytelling or easier combat to to choreograph. I wasn't sure what yeah. the case was, but it was noticeable, I guess. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I totally agree with you. And that's that was where I really noted it first. And then I also later noted it not only with the Dracula fight, but with Dracula when he was out getting those 40 people when we had that flashback where he was kind of taking some revenge, not for wife, but just kind of hunting for people that had wronged him. But yeah, those those couple of moments, it just adds 
it adds a lot of flair to it that otherwise can something can feel really fluid. For instance, comparison, we won't spoil anything, but I think The Legend of Vox Machina is incredible. I think it could use it could take like a little bit of a lesson out of this playbook that a little bit more telegraphing can make it feel but that's a style choice. That's a style book choice too. Mm. I don't know. I just I I liked it. I think I preferred some of the action here just in that way. But Legend of Ox is still right there, top tier with it. So, you know. Yeah. Um that said, you asked the question about like, I don't know if that's because of game. One of the things that I would say is kind of notable about the franchise is its use of I mean, and this isn't entirely unique to it either, but it is a, a calling card, a trope, whatever you want to call it, is that they do frequently involve either phased or staged fights. So you may have, you might, you might kill, for instance, one beast and then have another one jump in the room and the train change when it lands. And so like you, you go from having three platforms to just having two or to like dropping through the floor. And so that was just an incredible use of that visually. I loved that entire scene. It felt like something torn from a Castlevania game. Yeah, that's, that's what I suspected. We talked a little bit about this last episode when we talked about season one how much of like the sort of action and dialogue felt sort of video gamey to me mm-hmm. um that f- that felt less clunky here and i i'm hesitating to use the word clunky cuz i don't think it was a a bad thing but it it felt more like a tv show while still maintaining some of those elements in this season i think yeah it definitely as as an overall note i think the whole thing with the additional episodes breathed so much better and and it allowed for a lot more character moments as opposed to having to kind of go A to B to A to B sometimes in order to get people in the right places for for things to happen in the first season, which I still really like. But yeah, to that point, this this season just levels up in so many ways and is improved dramatically by that episode count. So yeah, you can understand why it got four seasons and why it's getting a spinoff. Is Um, it really? Yeah. So... Yeah, the story ends on the fourth season, this Castlevania story, but they are doing other ones because there are many descendants of the family Belmont. So, Gotcha. Which is pretty neat. I like the idea. Mm-hmm. Cool. You want to get into the episodes overall a little bit? Just talk about some of the, some of no. the bits, some of the notes? No? Cool. All right. Well, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Next month, we're going to be talking about Secret Project 2 by Brandon Sanderson. We'll see you then. Yep. Bye. All right. So let's talk about episode one. Episode one is titled War Council. The summary here, Dracula entrusts a deadly and personal mission with two humans who truly hate humanity, not knowing that he himself has become a target. I love this episode. I love the beginning and just starting with the flashback, right? Just Mm -hmm. this idea of bringing Lisa back to like remind us of the the reason that Dracula hates humanity now. And I think this season and the previous season does such a good job of humanizing dracula that i actually never felt like he was the villain i didn't disagree with with any of the choices more often than not i was like yeah that kind of fucking sucks but i get it man like i absolutely can sympathize with that definitely not empathize but like yeah yeah i had a a tough time in my head even thinking of him as an antagonist right but it's Later on in the season where it gets very much genocidal and like... Yeah, oh, for sure. That that tune changes a little bit <laughs> this right. season. Yeah, for for sure. Yeah. But no, I'm I'm totally with you early on 
it's hard to fault him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I just immediately so we we get the we get the the scene where she's being the physic and handing out medicine and that whole thing. And I just wrote down what I thought was like the funniest response, which is when that like cut that fade happens, the fire from the fire of the building. I just immediately in my notes type down, look what you made me do dot JPEG <laughs> for <laughs> anyone who listens to any Taylor Swift at all. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, that's that's definitely the the gif of the episode for me is just that mm-hmm. entire idea. But we are introduced to so many characters, the bishop returning as well, seeing him not once but twice in this episode as a dead body as and an alive person talking is fun. But we get introduced to Godbrand and immediately I shook my fist in the air because I fucking love Peter Stormare so much. Yeah, this was awesome. Is there any crossover casting between the show and the games no the games weren't voiced originally they're they're pre-voice lines in games yeah gotcha yep i don't know if any of the newer ones are or even maybe some of the remasters but yeah okay this is i mean this is such a perfect casting for this character Mm -hmm. it's amazing you know what backing up i think the ds games that i played did have voices in them if I remember correctly, one of them did Symphony of Night. Is that what that one's called? Or Symphony of Shadow? I'll have to double check, but I'm pretty sure that one did. But I mostly played with the audio off because I was playing in the car and other stuff like that with the family around. So, mm-hmm. but they may have, but none of it's cross-casted. This is all just A-list talent being pulled in to, to do these shows. Does this character exist in the games? Not so far as I'm aware. Not in any of the games that I played. I'm oh, just, it yeah, have, it's it's yeah. an interesting, like adaptation being that there are so many games to pull from all with different storylines all with different characters um Mm -hmm. i mean they're the big ones that are clearly the player characters and the the main antagonist but all these supplementary characters it's it's fun to guess whether or not they existed in the games i just assumed totally did somewhere totally fair there's there's a ton of like different notes that come from Godbrand too throughout the season that i i really enjoy and it appears as though i did just double check he was invented for the show so he does not exist in the game as far as the games but there's there's a couple of different notes that i really liked from Godbrand, including one that introduces some of our other characters that i want to talk about here the other antagonists that we get for the show hector of whom is a protagonist of a game and Isaac is his antagonist in that game, which is very interesting. Hmm. But of of Godbrand, Hector says something along the lines of you you don't do anything, but the only things that you do are like fuck, kill people or turn them into boats (laughs) 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 or turn things into boats. And Godbrand turns around. He's like, what? We're Vikings. We turn. I need boats. I like boats. (laughs) It's one of the funniest line deliveries (laughs) of the entire show. I just I love it. All of the interactions with Godbrand. I won't fuck you, Camilla. I'm too pissed off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Chances are good we're going to jump around a little yeah, bit sorry. here. But I, I guess, I no, I just mean in other episodes too. I And I, I think that that's okay because covering an entire season of TV is going to be difficult. We'll just try to give each episode's due and make sure we don't, you know, miss anything. Let's talk, let's talk about Hector. <laughs> Hector is a tragic boy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. There's some really 
bold insights made by Isaac and Dracula about Hector later on referring to him as a child in a man's body saying that he he can only really understand pets and to a certain degree the actions make sense but spending time with him and and following him around a little bit I, I don't think that's the case there there's a decent amount of compassion that he holds while still turning his back on humanity but i don't think it's as like simplistic and cut and dry as they're making it out to be like there's a lot of like internal motivations that are up for question and Mm -hmm. it's it's just a fun deep character to explore all of these all of these characters are so well entrenched and and developed that is that is really what I wanted to hit here, too, is that, like, we're introduced to these four generals. Godbrand, as we know as the, the season develops, is mostly for comedy, like, and to, like, be the brutal side of vampires. He's representative of an idea of vampire, and that's totally cool. And I, I think that he definitely represents that thirst that's ascribed to him a bunch, and that's sort of a lot of people's general impressions. But Hector, Isaac, and Carmilla are meaty characters to dive into, especially from where they come from in their actual origins to Dracula, their relation to humanity versus themselves and the way that they feel spurned by humanity or perhaps the way that they spurned humanity of their own volition, Hector versus Isaac. Ah, brilliant, like absolutely brilliant characters inside of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to your point about Godbrand, he... Uh... He seems to be embodying and representing this carnal nature, mm-hmm. like the actual like deep desires of of the vampires as opposed to the machinations. Yeah, yeah, which I think is a good thing to have. He's just not as deep as the other three that we get. And I would argue Hector and Isaac just stand on their own pedestals as far as characters go to. Carmilla's great. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. So Hector's very interesting. Hector and Isaac, of course, both being forge masters, which allows for them to bring night creatures to life. What do you make of the magic of of that and like this season to some degree? The season? Yeah, I oh, mean, this, oh, the, this the, season the, of magic, like just magic in the season gotcha, gotcha, in gotcha, general, gotcha. kind of. Yeah, yeah. I like that they both have different methods. Mm-hmm. Sim- like obviously a similar result, but very different means of, of attaining it. And we also see the orig- origins of it. We see the coins early on. Yeah. And how that mm-hmm. evolves into a hammer with the coins embodied or inset on the sides of it. I like that there's that little bit of grounding sort of logic, the, the, the through line for that evolution. I mean, you know me, I like rules mm-hmm. and I don't know them. <laughs> So it's hard to it's hard to. Well, yeah, it's operating within some internal logic, right? Like it's not I don't know that we're ever going to have the the magic of it all explained. But yeah, that's that's not what the show's going for. Right. No, not at all. So, yeah, I found it interesting to your point about the differences between the forging, the devil forging between Isaac and Hector, the color differences as they physically manifest as well, not just the techniques, but the colors. In particular, one thing that stood out to me is that Hector's is blue 
like the magic that Sifa uses more often than not when she's casting any kind of spell versus Isaac's red, which I mean, is closer to blood. And that kind of fits with, I don't know, alignments vaguely. It, it was just an interesting note. It might not be fully intentional or anything. It's just more something that I noted as I was going along. Yeah, it's a good point. I'm sure that there's I, I, I would be surprised if there's not a connection between that type of magic. But yeah. to that point, the maybe it's supposed to just be electricity. But when the when the castle is being moved, that engine creates blue static throughout the entire castle mm-hmm. as well in the, in the same shade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm I'm so curious. And I this. This was hard to not be a I'm glad that we worked this in today. There was a brief moment where I was like, maybe it's not going to work. And like, that'll be fine. Not worried about it. We could make it work at any point in the near future. I'm glad it did. But at the same time, when I started watching the episodes, I was like, if it doesn't work today, I'm going to have such a hard time not watching the next season to try to like start connecting some of these dots because I am absolutely on it for for what comes next. So. That's completely separate, though. Do we want to talk about Isaac? We didn't necessarily talk about Isaac yet, of whom comes from a very different background. That boy. Fuck it. He's my boy. My boy. He, man, there's trauma. There's so much trauma, and it's so hard to, like, dig into. I mean, there's the self-flogging. There's his, like, undying pact to Dracula. I really thought we were going to get like we we got sort of a comedy of errors on Isaac's side when the when the betrayal happened but I thought I thought there was going to be so many more like back and forth I thought it was going to be even more of a twisting turning thing like them calling the I, I don't know Isaac is amazing yeah everything about him is so fucking cool he's mm-hmm. so brooding and just brutal an adept fighter, obviously one of the two forge masters, doesn't quite seem as prolific as Hector was as a forge master. I'm not sure if there's a dedicated reason for that or if it's just we were focusing on the actual forging from Hector's position more. But is, is there a reason behind that? Do you know? I'm not 100% sure if there is an innate reason. I think there's something to be said about the workmanlike way that Hector does does it because he's like getting something out of it all the time and so he is I think consistently churning things out call it call it what you will I'm I like to think of it as like quantity over quality Isaac seems to be the one dealing with more of the large and imposing like like the the flying hell demons or or the the really big things whereas the mundane skeletons the spoopy skeletons seem to be Hector's realm a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a good point. I, I just love that, like, subtle depictional difference, right? Because all the bodies that we see in episode one get dumped into Hector's room. Or, yeah, they get dumped into Hector's room versus when we do see the other forging. It's it's just a very different process all around. So mm-hmm. it's interesting just to compare the two on on that basis. But. I agree with you. Isaac is a fascinating character. Definitely the most interesting of the new characters on Dracula's side. But, yeah, I mean, just so incredibly difficult to, like, fully create a summation around because Mm -hmm. he is so complicated and so hurt 
and so damaged. Um, but because of what happened to him and because of the way that he was rescued, and in particular, I think it's in episode five or six. I, I can't remember when. But when you see that scene of Dracula and him talking about their first meeting, oh, man, I just I was in it. I was cheers in the whole time. I was like, fuck, yeah, these two actually see each other as equals in a way. Isaac owes a debt to Dracula, but they do kind of see perfectly eye to eye, which is fascinating from a character perspective. They see eye to eye, but Isaac intentionally sees himself as lesser than. Yes, for sure. servant of. Yes. But Dracula treats him like an equal, regardless right. That's true. of the way that Isaac perceives that relationship. You know, Dracula doesn't do anything to undo it necessarily actively, but he doesn't treat him any differently. Yeah. Versus Hector, he's willing to kind of talk down to Isaac about because it's clear that Isaac is that number one confidant. So, mm-hmm. so interesting. It's it's such an interesting dynamic. I, I loved I loved it. So our final one here to introduce of the characters that we should probably talk about, Carmilla. What do you think of Carmilla? I do not like that woman. (laughs) (laughs) I do not like her, Sam. I am. She felt to me her motivations seemed clear, Mm -hmm. but she didn't have the rich backstory that we get from the others. I'm Mm -hmm. my guess is she's kind of been slotted as the next big bad. So I'm guessing we'll get a lot more of that in the, the upcoming seasons. But in contrast between the other, between Hector and Isaac and Dracula and everyone else except for Godbrand, basically, we don't get a lot of background on her. Yeah, we, we aren't getting a ton outside of the fact that she's from Styria, right? But we do get a lot of her ideals throughout the season. But yeah, again, we're we're kind of, we're mm-hmm. we're given our two, I would say, like primary depictions of vampires here are like ideas and themes boiled down into individual characters. You've got the aristocracy, which I think Carmilla embodies, and then you've got that carnal desire thing, which I think is what obviously Godbrand embodies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you've got uh, revenge. Yeah. <laughs> which I don't know if it's a stereotypical vampire thing, but he flies, he's bat. It's a He's trade. Batman. He's Batman. Who's Batman? Dracula. <laughs> oh, Dracula. Dracula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's absolutely. I mean, Dracula is also Dracula in a in a kind of semi-literal context. I think there was a game that made it so that Dracula wasn't exactly the same as Dracula. They kind of did a prequel boot thing where there's a story where he becomes known as Dracula and he was a character. Anyway, it, it, it there are so many webs inside of the Castlevania series. But I don't think they'll go in that direction. I think they're just going to keep him Dracula in big, bold letters. Vlad Tepes. Tepes. What was the thing that I wanted to say about Carmilla? Oh, Carmilla is the name of the first, not the first, the Carmilla, the novella, predated Dracula as a vampire story by about 26 years. Yeah. Dracula is not the first vampire story. It is just the biggest from from the published works for the record obviously hmm. vampires are originally from folklore so like you can't really say when exactly that story originated but the first popularized version of written text was vampire as it was titled but with a y instead of the you know instead of the, the v. i-r-e vampire yeah. which was a part of the same contest 
I, I'm sure you know this anecdotal bit of history. A lot of people accidentally ascribe this to Dracula, but Mary Shelley was a part of a writing contest among a bunch of people, and she wrote Frankenstein for that writing contest, or you know, the modern modern necromancy or modern Prometheus. And this other guy that I can't remember his name wrote Vampire for that same contest, of which basically popularized it. And then a century later, we get Carmilla and we get Dracula. So. But wow. Carmilla brought it back to the fore after 100 years, and then Dracula cemented it as a piece of forever literature and emblazoned that name as the father of vampires on her head. So. Yeah. I mean, anyway, there's your it little It could have also been the actual living vampires that have evaded totally capture for the last several thousand years, but they're out there, man. I found out that they're living in Staten Island. If you yeah. want to go find some that are on Staten Island, yeah. I've got a yeah, big spooky house. It's a guy named Guillermo. Watch out for Guillermo. Definitely watch what we do in the shadows. Such a fucking good show. Uh huh. <laughs> I did want to make mention of something because we did talk about the animation, and we've talked about animation now with the Legend of Vox Machina episodes that we've done. The blend of 3D animation here with regular animation is better than any other show yeah. i did actually i wanted to give that credit to legend of ox machina i think in those episodes this first episode shows that dodecahedron and starts to like blur it later in the season you can see like clearly what they're doing is they're making these 3d renderings and then they're redrawing them and still giving it the same visual space and texture especially the castle much it, it it's less jarring when they it when blurs they, the line perfectly split between the two yeah it, it's mm -hmm. way better than, than anything else i've seen on it so. yeah crazy and i love i love vox and i wouldn't even call that a criticism because i think that they do it incredibly well too but this is just a step beyond that even and this predates that by many years mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah i mean truly i had to think about it like I had to be actively looking for it in order to notice it. Like otherwise mm -hmm. it just goes unnoticed and is a very well done animation. Whereas something like the legend of Vox Machina, it's pretty clear when they're switching styles like that. Yeah. So. Right. Right. It kind of chops the scene into the other action sequence where you're going to have the 3d models interacting, which makes sense. I totally understand mm -hmm. why they're doing it, but this is just perfect. So well done. So there there are a couple of like small things that I want to hit. Obviously, we catch back up with our crew. We kind of meet them and reset the expectations. We see Greshit kind of recovering from the nigh apocalypse they experienced, cutting up a lot of bodies. We do meet little zombie dog Caesar, of whom is one of Hector's many pets, which is kind of fun. And we get to see a melting deer. And I I don't like get lawn to. puppies that much. Fuck <laughs> lawn puppies. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking deer. Fuck that deer. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, th those were like my the rest of my highlights for episode one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some there's some brutal fucking gore and and just dead guy stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right. Cool. I think we're good on episode one. Let's yeah. move into episode two. So fun fact, we've already talked about most of episode two, but episode <laughs> two is called Old Homes. And uh, here's your summary. As Belmont shares a bold strategy with Alucard and Sifa, Dracula addresses a conflict within his ranks. Isaac recalls a painful encounter. So this is effectively 
Dracula beginning to see there being problems with the respect that Hector and Isaac are being given as the new generals that he wants to make the next judgment call from the other vampires. Godbrand throws hissy fit about drinking pig's blood versus drinking human's blood as like everything gets might be exterminated. Yeah, you're right. That also (laughs) these first couple of episodes just like all blur together because there are so many good like transposing backstories here. But yeah, I mean, we, we talked quite a bit about Carmilla here. Carmilla does something fascinating. I, I got to back up to the party because we actually haven't talked about the the party. And that's where this episode starts. I think that there is a great humor and great chemistry among our three leads of Saifa, Trevor and Alucard. And I think that it's wonderfully written. Um, this moody emo boy who always sits in the corner, you know, he's sitting in the house alone, drawing pictures of his parents and him being like, oh, I got to kill my fucking dad. It's super sad. He's one of the smartest people in the world. And then he has to re-explain that to everyone. And there's many moments of like eat shit and die <laughs> yeah. coming back up as like different flares, which is fun as the way that they fling the <laughs> insults at each other. They do throw a lot of insults at each other. I really wasn't expecting them to maintain a like an alliance throughout this entire season. Mm. Just with how tumultuous it was here and in the Belmont storage like cavern, also episode three. Like, just all of it is, there's some turbulence. And I, I thought the plane was going down. Yeah, totally fair. I definitely agree with that. And I think that it's so brilliantly recovered by the idea of, like, the way that they end up working together once we get to those episodes that take place in the Belmont estate. Mm-hmm. So, But in this, we start to begin to see the machinations of Carmilla as well. And there's a fascinating question about lisa being asked here which feeds directly into the commentary of the episode to some degree and this idea that lisa was turning him into a human as opposed to this lord of vampires even though he was still an immortal vampire what'd you kind of make of that that argument and that sort of dissent being sowed among the ranks it's brilliant like that sort of takedown of the leader and and Mm -hmm. demoralization is you couldn't have you couldn't have asked for a better way to do that to sow distrust in your leadership of high powerful vampires to point out that their super high powerful vampire is maybe not as high and powerful as he's making himself out to be like it, it's, it's a little wussy really, boy yeah yeah she played everything perfectly like all of her plans really unfold exactly how she wants them to. Yeah. I, and I think that that's what I, I enjoy so much about it all is that it does work out exactly perfect for her, which is lovely. It shows like a true, and it's not, it not in a cheesy way. It's just that she knows the cards to play, right? Like you can, you can have like a plot line feel very forced, but it feels as though she is, massaging everything to be in the right place this is also where she starts kind of flirting with hector as well uh and that is what eventually leads into them having conversations to begin with in which he's being manipulated um by her so he was already being manipulated by by dracula the whole time also yeah so like he's just you know (laughs) he's he's kind of a sad case of a character too because you know, I, I think that the term is often used of like a himbo character, right? Like they they lack intelligence, but they look pretty. But I think that he's just a child, as Dracula says. But that kind of makes him a child himbo in, mm. a, in a way. 
because he's a child, not because he's dumb. Like that's that's what I mean. Because he just never grew up. I don't know if it's necessarily that. I think he's naive. That is what I'm describing. To and both and of I those think traits. he's out of his depth. But I don't think he's a child. Like there, there's no. not there's not like a right. childlike intelligence about him. Right. Naivete was what I was trying to ascribe yeah. there. He, okay. Way better word to put on top of it, but he still behaves like a child. I wouldn't say he's petulant or anything like that, but he's definitely naive. That's a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. He just trusts in words and that things are going to go exactly the way that they're said they're going to go. Yeah. He also mm-hmm. sees logic in, mm-hmm. in, but is too quick to trust the reasoning. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So a good part of this episode, though, after those bits is devoted to Isaac and his backstory. We've talked a little bit about this, but we see him flaying himself and we begin to get some of those back notes of the culture and the way that he was treated as he was raised, abducted, turned into a slave. I I mean, like whichever way you want to paint it as yeah, this sort what? of religious survivor. I don't even know the term to ascribe to it. There's so much there that it's like. Just he Isaac the survivor mm-hmm. more than anything else because he was he wasn't technically enslaved. Maybe he was technically. I, I don't I don't know what his role was in that backstory. Mm-hmm. He was like a forced apprentice, kind of. Yeah, yeah, but the the harsh he does. I do want to say he did start as a slave. Like the very beginning of it, but then he begins to work into the other side of that, which is the apprenticeship and and whatnot. So he starts as a slave, then is basically being mistreated as a part of that, and then begins going forward, which just, yeah. Yeah, the the whole attack in that backstory is based on his master coming in, and master in the apprentice sense, right? (laughs) Yeah, not, yeah, Uh, right. Coming in and seeing him reading, right? And he's Mm -hmm. just trying to learn how to better himself at the job. But, like, there's a miscommunication there and it devolves into torture. Yeah, he's trying to serve, which is crazy, too. So, like, he's, which fits into how he fits into Dracula's cadre as well. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's a complicated, rooted need to serve. Mm-hmm. That is a yeah. total through line in his entire backstory. Yeah. Ooh, this is spicy. As a final note on this episode, there we begin to see the seeds of Godbrand and Isaac's tension sowed here very close to the end of the episode. And I think that's great, obviously, for where that goes on the whole as it pays off. So with that, we we have episode two, of which is basically the summary of Isaac's backstory in addition to progressing everyone else's story. With three, we move into shadow battles, of which gets into Hector's. So, our summary here. Belmont travels to his family archives along with Sypha and cynical Alucard. Godbrand voices a suspicion about Dracula's motives. So, we start off with like a little vignette of Hector reviving the dog with the two coins as he chimes them together and kind of discovering devil forging and those capabilities. What do you think of the, the little bit of Hector backstory that we get? That dog, I I just kept thinking about, like, my dogs like to lay around the house. That dog's getting blood on every fucking couch and every (laughs) chair and every carpet. 
in that house. Mm-hmm. Just an open festering wound on the side of the body. Yeah. Yeah. I I totally agree with you. I thought it was really funny and creepy. And then I also, because we've already seen a dog following him around, it was weird that it wasn't the same dog. That was where right. my brain went at first. It was like, okay, so something happened to this dog in between. He doesn't even care. Necessary. This was like a first inkling of the way that Hector worked for me. Is it's, He doesn't care about the pets necessarily that he keeps. He just cares about being able to sort of the the dopamine hit of reviving something or like taking it he doesn't he's detached from that relationship because he doesn't still have that dog it's gone so far as we know yeah and there there's conversations about cats that he's revived mm-hmm. yeah he i wonder if there's a life life span of revived creatures like, That's can that fair. magic only take root for so long? I don't know. Hmm. I don't think that's explored at all. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. Also, does that's he ever have living pets? Like, where do these dogs like, come? Does he just find dead dogs and then he revives them? Or does he, wasn't like... Wasn't that the whole point, though, is that this was his dead pet this, this time? This original one was. Yeah, right. But, like, now... Oh, yeah, now he's killing dogs and bringing them back and making them his. Yeah, that's totally what I believe. Headcanon, for sure. Right. Like, it'd be Just funny kidding. to see him have, like, a living puppy that he, age, like, raises and ages until it dies of old age. And then he's sad, so he brings it back for another decade or so. Like, I think that'd be weird, but doesn't really translate well in this storytelling. Mm-hmm. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I I think that it would still be a good thing though because they do still do this and that's why like I'm stuck here sitting on this this through line of the dogs not being the same is because it's like okay, well what happened to dog A versus dog B and I think that it maybe tells us a little bit about the character rare. or yeah, exactly. Maybe he's just willing to trade out for dog A for dog B. He upgraded his common green dog that was in his item slot up to an uncommon blue dog. Yeah. There's a legendary one out there somewhere for him. You know, he's just collecting him. He sold it to the vendor. This is a bad video game joke. We're fine. But yeah, Did Castlevania I, have gear. Not any of the ones that I played. It was it very much Metroidvania style. So it's not an RPG thing. It's a collect something so that you can do new things. Gotcha. Imagine, if you will, because this also kind of comes up in this episode. You've got like a 2D map. And every once in a while you run into, because it's a flat game, it's a side-scroller. So you can jump vertically, you can move horizontally, there's a lot of different different spaces. But in the top left-hand corner, you need the Morning Star to get through the door. You need that whip weapon. And then you get the Morning Star in the bottom right-hand corner. You might be able to find the top left-hand corner very early, but you can't get through it. And so then when you eventually get it, it's like, oh shoot, I can use this to do that. And so then you like go back through, which is classic Metroidvania-style gameplay, which I... which is really cool and very unique to sort of the genre. The most recent big game that kind of played around with that or did that explicitly, I think that was super successful, I should say, that I'm aware of, was Hollow Knight. Very much revived and modernized the formula to some degree with modern controls and stuff like that. So, Gotcha. I'm guessing a lot of that was born out of like data constraint, like size constraint of the game. So you, you can make a game pretty small like the entire map is probably pretty small relatively 
but you're doing all this back and forth exploring of the map that it feels like a larger world because something that you can see is already cut off and you like yeah it's it's more like i i understand that and that may be a component of it but i think it was to me and my understanding and listening to people talk about not specifically castlevania but more there's a reason they're called metroidvanias right because metroid is the other half of that so i've listened to a lot of like metroid docs and it wasn't file size so much as it was increasing the size of the map in people's heads and also making it a puzzle game in addition to a side scroll shooter. How do you differentiate it from Mario? Like, what do you do to create a different game that still uses a lot of the same stuff? You know, you're still shooting things that may have a bouncing projectile. You're still doing all of these different things that are basically the same functional bits and bobs that are in Mario, but you have to map it differently and create something else. So how do you do that? And that's kind of the, some of the idea. Okay. So that makes sense. adds a puzzle layer to it, which is fun. But yeah, you kind of get some of that here in one of the episodes a little bit later. It feels like he's like, oh man, we got to go find rope so that we can get up out of the hole. And that is such a Metroidvania thing to like need to go get like, rope or something like that to be able to progress through the level it was mm-hmm. such a subtle nod that i was like hell yeah i totally see you making the joke about climbing out of the super damage hole since the stairs don't work anymore and you have to do something else mm-hmm. and yeah obviously they use magic in the end but it did it did make me feel like i, I just had that little that little moment of, of recognition very similar to when the legend of Vox machina they can't get through a door <laughs> you know same yeah. same idea or they seem to be struggling with it. Mm-hmm. It's a much better nod. Yeah. So there is the story of the tree, of which I really appreciated from the estate and sort of this being my tree as Trevor approaches it, which I thought was great. Small little humanizing moment for him and, and sort of the story with that tree that I really enjoyed. But this gets to one of the things that I really appreciated about the show in this viewing, which is that those two horses that were pulling the cart that they were in looked exactly the same. Like they were actually conjoined. I'm pretty sure that their legs overlapped very directly and it looked as though we had a a horse that shared back legs and the front legs were different. The new... Oh, man. I'm fucking it up. I had such a good joke. (laughs) (laughs) It's a double horse. It's a double horse. Double horse. It's it's the new Volkswagen Bugatti W16... (laughs) horse horse <laughs> with two horses for one mm. it's just two v8s side by side but it's horses <laughs> many horses that's great no one of the things that i do really appreciate about this show though is not the horses but that unlike a lot of games animation and anime is the focus on setting and the amount of time that it takes setting up scene shots and like just lingering on like what a building looks like for a second and giving us those moments. It reminds me of the the like 90s anime that I really loved and some of them that I've been like revisiting for the first time. Cowboy Bebop lingering on like really close shots of like popping open the lighter and like seeing the lighter light and just living with that and not needing to have dialogue or action or something dictate what's happening on screen, letting the art speak for itself, which I, I just really loved with all of the Belmont estate. Yeah. Yeah, that was super cool. Getting into the estate itself after they get past the the magical door. Which he makes the joke, congrats, you discovered a big, big stone. <laughs> yep. Well, there's that. It's like, well, it's not, it's not just a stone, all right? Come on. 
but Saifa's use of magic to light all the candles. Mm -hmm. I so badly wanted there to just be some candles in a display case that also got lit. That like shouldn't have been. (laughs) And it's like just smoking up the inside of one real badly. (laughs) Yeah. Like how does, how does she know how many, because there were some that were like clearly not visible from her right. location, but like just knew that they were there. Hmm? Maybe you light the one and it's just like a series trigger and like the rest of the candles are on a wire and they just go. That's not well, it shows the lines coming off of no, like, I know. in all the directions. <laughs> like it shows, yeah. it shows her do it. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. But yeah, <laughs> great, great point. The library also gets to one of my favorite bits of this episode, which I had mentioned, again, sort of the 2D puzzle of of this whole game and the way that the games themselves were laid out. You, you may have like a visually occluded side room that you can't see because the art is in the way. But sometimes if you like walk into the wall or you swing at the wall, it would break or you'd be able to just move through it naturally. And there'd be a chest there. And so it's such a cool reveal the way that they do this chest, I think, behind the books or like behind one like segment of shelves. And they yeah, have to, like, they, get I mean, he can walls. see it. it it's just yeah. like a broken bookshelf behind. Yes, it, yeah. exactly. So that's a great example of like you notice something that's out of place with the art and you're like, what is that? And so you then either like run into it and side scroll over or you hit it and then you get something that could be huge for you in the moment. And I thought that was such a nice nod to like the whole 2D genre of side scrollers like this that I was just like, fuck, yeah, that's such a good, good little yeah. bit. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And the the reveal of the weapon was awesome. Like, the I know that star. That's the like the main or one of the main weapons that Trevor uses. Yeah. It not only like the whip weapon in general is one of the main weapons that he uses, but the Morning Star is the highest in I think in almost every game that uses one of the whip weapons. It is the highest level. Whip. Gotcha. So it is it is the top gear that you can get. Okay. So, Looks dope. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah. The, yeah. Throughout all of this, Trevor is in awe. And Alucard is not. <laughs> no, he's maybe, very skeptical. He, well, he's he's in he's in a pretty depressing state. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's I would be, too, I suppose. Mm-hmm. He, he had a pretty on point line about this being a museum to the extermination of his people. So, you know. Which he's not wrong. Like he's this not wrong. Is, and Trevor never yeah. addresses like they never really address it one on one together. Do they? They only get to it in the end, which I think is so interesting, right? Like yeah, it's I in the last episode where it finally gets to it of like, oh, you're kind of thinking about this the wrong way. These are tributes to both of your people mm-hmm. in different ways. So but that's that's to resolve a character arc in a moment and everything else. So we'll we'll get there when we get there. But yeah, I did, Trevor does not address it directly at any point. And one could even argue that Trevor is blissfully unaware of Alucard's feelings about being in the library at all throughout most of this. That's probably true. Yeah. And maybe not blissfully because no one's happy in the show except for Sypha <laughs> and Godbrand, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> And even Saifa's not that happy. She just has a cheery disposition. Yeah. Like, she's tolerating the world. <laughs> talking about how God hates her. Yeah, God hates our people. That's fine. Mm-hmm. 
episode three ends with the Dracula and Godbrand conversation about the preservation of society and like not being willing to eat pig's blood. And so this is what for him begin for Godbrand begins to swing him further over to Carmilla's side is, well, I get the shits from pig's blood, so I'm not I'm not doing that. I think it's a little bit more than that. Oh, it um, definitely is. But I, that's yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I think this is the point where Godbrand starts realizing that these promises that Dracula is making are hollow. Mm-hmm. He's he's not planning on like he's starting he's to see that facade anything. crumble. He's not yeah. planning on giving them livestock humans. He's he's just going to make them live on whatever they can. Mm-hmm. And yeah. ditch them once their their use is done, basically. Yeah, I I think it might be in this episode at one cutaway to Dracula where he says that like his ultimate goal is silence. He just wants quiet. He wants to be done. He wants the world to be done. Mm -hmm. So. That's That's a that's a pretty brutal way to avoid committing suicide. (laughs) Killing literally everybody else. When Alucard said that in episode seven, I went, whoa, you're so right. This is like the most depressing take them all with me suicide note I've ever seen. Mm. Yeah. Ugh. That that was a great moment. All of episode seven. I could gush. We yeah. could, I could gush for an hour about it. So I want to get there. But we go to episode four and I love that it starts off with a God brand dream. I so <laughs> believe that he was going to make it through to the end of the season and be maybe the big bad that like the group had to face. But I love the the dream of it all. And then him waking up and being like, fuck yeah, that was a great dream. Time to go do it in real life. <laughs> what would you, what do you think of God brand uh, throughout this? God brand. Is this the episode he dies in? Yeah. At the very end of the he episode. So quick. He is in mm-hmm. so few oh, episodes. Shoot. I should, I should read the episode title and summary. I'm so okay, sorry. Okay, I'm not okay. even drinking that much. Summary. Broken mast. As Godbrand's thirst grows, Carmilla tries to recruit Hector. Isaac shows his loyalty and Belmont's, Belmont shares a story with Sypha. A family story. Anyway. I'm uh, so sorry. Yeah, Godbrand truly left a, a big imprint for somebody who's in five minutes of the show total. Yeah, if that probably 10 at this point, but okay, yeah, four episodes, 20 minutes in episodes, it's probably about 10 minutes, somewhere between, you know, yeah, maybe you think maybe it's not a whole lot. (laughs) He wasn't speaking for all of those minutes, but no, yeah, yeah, he is in the background of a lot of conversations. But like you mentioned, it's mostly a comedic impact. It's mostly symbolic, I'd say, but it was so well done, (laughs) Mm -hmm. so well voiced, so well acted. I I love him. And I wish I wish him the best in his eternal afterlife. Protect protect Godbrand. <laughs> Even though he's kind of scummy. Like he's really, oh, he's total he's really not a good he's guy. Garbage. <laughs> but at but least he's, he's true. Yeah, he's he's fun garbage. No, he was also know? a backstabbing bastard. <laughs> right. <laughs> the whole no, time. I, uh, agreed, agreed. <laughs> I meant that just he is fun garbage. Like he is oh. He's an enjoyable fire to watch. Yeah, car yeah. burning on the side of the road. Yeah, that was that was directed at me. Where I oh, said, "Oh, yeah, he's true, and yourself. he's not." Yeah, yeah, no, he. Well, he's true to his own goals, but yeah, yeah self-aggrandizing, perhaps. But yeah, so this is finally where the Carmilla 
kind of scheming against Dracula really comes to a head as we see those schemes fully out in the open as she approaches Hector. And I, I put a little note here that it feels like she's making a big point of Hector treating things like pets. And it's very clear to me in this moment that I was like, I think Hector's going to become her pet in the way that this mm-hmm. is being played. Obviously, that happens by the end of the season, but I was just like, I was so on it. I felt yeah. so good about that. Yeah, she is a total seductress, not just in a sexual sense, but just spilling poison into his ears. Like he's mm-hmm. he's fallen for it. Yeah, for good reason though. Her logic is sound. It, it's in line with what he wants, and he's kind of being made to think that he's not actually betraying Dracula by doing anything for her. Yeah. It's perfect. It's so brilliant. <laughs> that gets back to her point about the naivete, himbo, child kind of thing going on with him. Is this is this is when that becomes ultimately clear because it's like you are so he he doesn't believe that he's actually burning the bridge and he always thinks that he can turn back at whatever point. Like he thinks he's in some kind of control because he's been given control by Dracula. But mm. the reality is, is that he lost it the moment that he didn't turn around and share what was told to him. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. We also get that flash that we talked about earlier with Isaac and his recruitment back to this cause and the way that they had first met and talked to each other as well. So this is finally that episode where that appears. But in particular, that conversation where they're both saying, do you remember the first time that we met and the first things that we said to each other? And the way that that flips between the two of them with Dracula approaching first and then him coming back with it later inside of that same scene is brilliant and so well written as far as exchanging tension. And this is where we see that they're on equal footing against each, not against each other, but they. There's mutual there's respect. A mutual respect. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah, the indulge me so that I can know that you're still my friend <laughs> mm-hmm. was a really well-delivered line. I fucked it up. Like, I flubbed that more than, like, I didn't do it the justice it deserved, but I really liked that no, line. right. Yeah, indulge me by repeating the first thing that I said or whatever it was. It's just so, oh, it was so good. I didn't expect it to be so good. Mm-hmm. But, Yeah. We already talked about that quite a bit, so we'll we'll move into the next bit that I have here. I love that we go back to the library. We see our pair kind of exploring and talking about different things, and we get the difference in perception of sadness between Trevor and Alucard, and that breakdown from Saifa, of whom is very observant as to the two of them and the way that they are both differently sad in their own ways, but that she can almost tolerate Trevor's sadness more because he feels human. I think is the the like core explanation here. Yeah, that but makes sense. I think. What do you think? It's it's just a. I wasn't expecting a weird somber downtime, mm-hmm. but I, it has to happen. So I'm glad it did. Saifa was really insightful. Mm-hmm. Saifa sees all. Saifa knows all. <laughs> Saifa know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Saifa. Is this the episode where she starts talking about the memory stores more often? Yeah, so it's it's in this episode and the next episode. I mean, to be fair, I also really like that we spend so many episodes at the Belmont's place as opposed to treating it like a one-and-done location because it's like they're actually taking time to research and do all this stuff. Not like it happened instantaneously, which I think is cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she begins talking about the memory stores here and the difference in 
you know, the way that that knowledge is retained communally versus otherwise. Yeah. Can you run through that with me a little bit? They maybe I'm just attributing some copper mine stuff onto it, but it's not oh, it's like a physical spoken thing, right? word. No, okay. it's not. It's not anything physical. It's just a game of history telephone, basically, but a whole cult cult group that's devoted to it. But there's no like magical means of storing spoken no. word. Nope. Okay. She says it with such the way she talks about it makes it seem like that. So I was yeah. confused for a while. Well, I think it's because of the way that they're brought up, right? And this really gets more into last season to begin with. But I, I think that foundationally, the entire idea here being, you know, the reason that she is this way and she knows all those things is because everyone is taught all of the things or is specialized in an area of like knowing this. And so it's just a verbal history. It's the way the humans used to do things. And I think that's what's interesting is it's like this is a manifestation of the past in the past in some ways and oral tradition and everything there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. They share a blankie. They do do you share think a that they're going to get together? Do you think that they're going to get together by the end of the series? I think we're made to think that, but I don't think it'll happen. Okay. All right. I don't have a good reason. <laughs> No, I I think that's fine. I don't think you have to have a good reason, but it's cool. I'm mm-hmm. just curious. I don't know. I I feel like they will, but I'm not I'm not sold on it necessarily. The thing that gives me that feeling is just at the very end, the difference between her holding Alucard's shoulder and holding Trevor's hand. Um yeah, as they're walking. So, that's my only thing that I'm really leaning on and it's not like they're flirting directly. He's just being, you know, they're just both kind of lonely in different ways. The blanky part, like the blanket part felt a little flirty. A little initially. bit. Yeah. They didn't, it didn't come across as much this season, but I'm still kind of remembering from the previous season. She seems so young. Like they do a good job of making her not seem as much of a child in this episode or in this season, but yeah. She was definitely portrayed as a very young girl in or or at least that was my sort of perception of it in the first season. Whether or not. It was yeah, true, she I was know, but. she was trained to act like a boy. Wasn't that a whole component of it, too? Yeah. Like she was. Yeah. And so I think on top of that, it's like she's exposing who she really is. And I would I would attribute that to naivete again, you know, like like we're saying, which comes mm-hmm. from finally leaving her culture to some degree. But. Yeah, right. I, I totally get that. Yeah, she does feel young. This this gets into like the whole idea of, you know, like thinking about like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt for a second. Have you watched any of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Yeah, you know, the a idea? long time okay, ago, cool. but yeah. The idea of like trapped in a bunker, escapes, you know, abducted at one point in her life and then is like brought back into society. Your mental age because of that naivete and like being raised in a certain way is completely different from the socialization that everyone else has had. So it mm-hmm. does feel childish and the naivete and that difference is where a lot of that comedy comes from but in a more serious way that makes it really difficult to parse the possibility of the relationships that they can have or the relationships that they should have like would it even be a good thing if they got together i think it'd be fine in this circumstance but yeah it's always something in the back of my head yeah there's the the ever-looming question of is this immoral yeah right right 
Like what are the, what, what are the moral implications of, is she being taken advantage of without anyone in the relationship really realizing it? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, and it's all, it's like, it's all above board, but where does it, yeah. Where does that morally, where do you morally draw that distinction? Cool. All right. Well, we cut back to Isaac and the attempted recruitment by Godbrand to get him in with the rest of what's going on with Carmilla. And that goes very poorly. And Godbrand is killed at the hands of Isaac for that betrayal as he views against Dracula. Yeah, Isaac's a fucking badass and totally deserves to be a general in Dracula's army. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hector is a little boy. <laughs> Fair. All right. I'll concede at this point. No, it's fine. I was so surprised when he didn't immediately go talk to Dracula about it until the reveal later, much later, several episodes from now, where he talks about, he's talking about betrayals. And he he mentions, like, they'll be taken care of without you even knowing about it at some point. Like, he mentions exactly what he did to Godbrand without mentioning Godbrand. I was that a flashback? I didn't think it was a flashback. I thought that was just no, a comment. No, no, no. Oh, okay. He's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's just reassuring Dracula yeah. that he he'll take care of any insurrection, and he's already taken. And care he's of already it. done. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fair point. Yes, totally. I was like, was that a flashback? And then I was like, I don't think so, because that's also when he brings up the Isaac thing that later happens because, or sorry, the Hector thing because he trusts Hector, which is unfortunate. Mm. But yeah, yeah, man brutal brutal death i was a little bummed not gonna lie but at the same time i was like what is Godbrand then and that that points us to where the rest of the season goes which is that we're not going to follow these minor antagonists so much it's about you know it's about the big bad it's about dracula yeah i was disappointed that we don't get more where's Godbrand questioning we, we got get it a twice, little bit two or three times yeah did we even get it that much we did. I, I want to say it was three times. I don't okay. think it was more than that. And it was just like quick one-offs of like probably off fucking something somewhere, probably sucking something dry. And it was just like, you know, mm-hmm. it was that. I think the first note that I remember that being mentioned was by Hector and Isaac when they're walking on the beach. And then I remember Carmilla bringing it up. I feel like Carmilla was the first one I remember. And I thought it was like okay. right away yeah. in the next episode. But... It it may very well be, and then the other ones at the end of the episode, them walking together and talking. I think is okay. in. Man, that might be six. I don't. I don't remember exactly, but loved it nonetheless. And I I thought I thought it was done enough, especially because Godbrand is a fuck, and like no one really likes him anyway. So like, yeah, I could see them imagining and believing that he just fucked off somewhere. So yeah, but he's a general. <laughs> Like, he holds yeah. really important station in his army. But, like, they aren't respecting him. Plus, they're coalescing the power around one central voice anyway as a part of the whole mm-hmm. argument. So they're just like, whatever, who cares? None of these folks are going to matter in a minute. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, cool. All right. Anything else on episode four? No, I guess we kind of got into episode five a little bit. We did. We did. So episode five, last spell. Carmilla presses forward with her plan despite Godbrand's disappearance. Sypha makes a starting discovery while combing the archives. So, 
we we get the note obviously of Godren's disappearance like you said this episode to me is political drama the episode and i i didn't expect there to be much action or anything like that we get it in the form of a dracula flashback i think when he's feeding on the 40 people or is that the next episode i think uh, it's the next episode next one but yeah what would you think of this episode i mean it's a uh, it, it's exactly what i love <laughs> Mm-hmm. I I was in awe of this episode. This is it reminds me of the the things I love about Elantris and Warbreaker, just like the really deep political sort of inner workings and the way that these cogs mesh and the words get twisted and the actions. I had fun. I had a lot of fun mm-hmm. with it. What do you think cool. of it? I loved this episode in general i thought that it did a great job it also did a wonderful job of misleading me into where i thought the season was going versus Mm -hmm. where it ends up because i did believe that carmilla's plan was going to be the way that things were going to go and that it wasn't going to be the debt we weren't going to lead into the death of dracula but the subversion of him and like basically just like we'll keep him trapped he'll be fine we don't have to worry about it we're gonna we'll proceed without needing to take him out and i really thought we were going to get a mole out of Isaac and mm-hmm. Dracula was still going to maintain his, his seat of power through yeah. the end of this episode or through the end of the season. And it was going to be sort of a triangular battle between our three protagonists, Dracula and Carmilla and the rest of the vampires. And I really thought Isaac was going to be the linchpin in that in keeping Dracula one step ahead of Carmilla. Mm-hmm. And instead, since he's getting all of his information from Hector, that information's poison. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's just as lost. Like Dracula's just Faithful as lost as Hector fault. is. Loyal to a fault. Yeah. 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 Unfortunate. I, I totally agree with you. And that's, that's why I loved this episode so much is that you've got these kind of different moments and, I just really, really enjoyed that distinction as it was between I think this is where I like really loved and like began to draw the line of the biggest differences between Hector and Isaac, not just in their backstory, but of the way that they approach loyalty and the way that they think of these things to begin with. Isaac is loyal to the person who saves him. Hector's still loyal to his species, despite being, you know, so removed he's not as broken he hasn't seen as much bad in the world he does make the comment i think it might be this episode about his true love is his work like he just loves working so i think yeah to to the point that you made earlier about the pets it it is a dopamine hit to create Mm -hmm. them it might not necessarily be loyalty or a deep deep deep-rooted love of those animals to begin with Mm mm-hmm yeah, he needs bodies to work with. And what do you do when everyone's dead? Like, what bodies do you bring back? I guess you could just keep bringing back rabbits, but that's probably less fun. I don't know if there's a gradient of fun, but yeah, I don't know. Flying pig demons would be weird if everyone had to drink pig's blood all the time. It'd be a challenge. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the episode, <laughs> by the way, that Dracula does feed. And I found it very interesting because it shows how different he is compared to the other vampires that we even saw in the episode with Godbrand where they're feeding on the group. He is slow and methodical and can't be stopped. Like he is 
he's not rushing around. He's taking his time. He's luxuriating in the pleasure of of violence for himself and just kind of taking it all in. He's also not going so far. He's only getting back at those 40 people that wronged him. Still a lot of people to just kill. But like he's there's some restraint there. There's a method. This is a flashback, right? Yes, this is a flashback. This is pre pre Lisa. Lisa. Yeah. Yeah. And then dragging their bodies to make messages to everybody else was Mm -hmm. fucking brutal, but certainly plays into the Vlad the Impaler sort of. Uh, mm-hmm. mythos of Dracula. Yeah. But we already got right. that early on. <laughs> we got that oh, yeah, this, season it's, one. Right. It's just reiterating that and like reminding us that this is who this man was at one point. Again, it's making sure that I think this show does really diff- does a really great job with a difficult thing of like making us care for Dracula, but also being like, you shouldn't care that much. And like we get enough to make him definitely the antagonist, but not necessarily. And he is a bad guy for sure because he's advocating for genocide when he's doing. But you can at the very least sympathize with him and, and that pain. So, yeah, you can see the tragedy of it. Yeah. Also, Carmilla in, in the end of this ends up dropping that guise with Hector, not fully, but mostly saying that, like, now you're mine, kind of. And yeah, that was, I mean, that was great. he's right. Mm-hmm. He's stuck. <laughs> yeah stuck with her for a very long time apparently maybe we'll see Mm. but yeah he can he can no longer turn back and just lean into dracula because he's implicated because he actually did do the thing that's going to lead to the fall including reviving the priest i don't think we really get into this into next episode but i think this is where he gets the body back yeah yeah pretty he forges it yeah it's so weird the the I guess we can get into that later, but yeah, I'm I'm failing to track the logic behind needing that priest in order to bless it because it's a it's a husk. It's a husk that's dressed yeah. like a priest. I think it's just a clergyman. Right. But it is that guy. So it is bringing back his soul. And I would probably argue is it bringing it is back his exactly soul. His, I think probably more specifically, that's probably what they had him do. Because he does have his voice. Um, yeah, I have also never heard any the of the undead speak like that before. No, right, right. So I, I feel like it's a particular thing. It's, a different... it's like they knew he was going to hell. <laughs> so they were able to <laughs> call that back directly. <laughs> we're just going to pluck him back out of there. Yeah, yeah, it should be real easy. He's he's kind of fresh, you know? He's not. He hasn't been there very long. Yeah. He's still in line. He's still waiting. Yeah, he's still waiting for Andrew. They don't they don't know what to do with him yet. They haven't sorted him. There's a little sorting hat in hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Level six. Definitely level six. <laughs> Definitely level six. Put him down there with the howler monkeys. Got it. Okay. Bring him down All to level four. Monkeys. If he struggles too much, just keep on going to five. So, yeah, that, that gets us through most of the, almost all the, the political machinations. The final thing that we didn't mention is obviously the biggest move here is convincing Dracula via Hector to teleport the castle to Brealia, the port city, so that way the, the people can't escape. Um, mm-hmm. Convincing Hector to convince Isaac, but that's that's kind of the big, big move here. Yeah. And it's, again, fucking brilliant. <laughs> 
mm-hmm. that Hector's used as this pawn here. Yeah. Spreading poison knowledge as as though it's truth because he believes it to be truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Because he thinks that's going to be the actual thing when, in fact, he's one step removed from the actual plan. He's so, literally being steps. puppeted. <laughs> yeah. Like a pet. So we the other the other side of the story is played a lot more low keyly as they're exploring more of the Belmont archives. We see some flashing shots. We get some inspection that's going on, of course, as we find the last spell. It's not really the last spell, but it's a new one that she's never known about. And so Sypha begins to parse out and complete the spell that seems to allow for them to potentially teleport the castle themselves. Would you would you think of this section with third Trevor digging around and finding random family artifacts and weapons, some throwing knives, card being sad boy? Would you like? So I completely misunderstood the castle thing that mm. Sypha discovers because she refers to it as being locked down. So I didn't realize that she could also move it. Yeah, so she she thinks that she can make it move. The spell was to lock the castle in place originally. Oh, okay. Gotcha. If that makes sense. So that's why she so thinks the, it's incomplete for what she wants to do. Yeah. I understand now. Like, I, I was, I mean, I understood at the at yeah. the end when she actually does it. But throughout I also all was of that, jarred by that and I rewound too because I was yeah. like, what? Wait, you said it was going to lock down. And then I hopped back to the other episode and you're like, where are you at? And I was like, I'm back in episode seven. Just give me a second. <laughs> or six. Um, but it made for... My misunderstanding of it made for a really good dramatic episode coming up because it was yeah. totally like now Sypha is working effectively for Carmilla without realizing like their their the their plans are coming line for each other. Oh, that sucks so bad for Dracula. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, yeah. You deserve what's coming, but like, yeah, this is how you get caught unawares with a massive army. No way that we get to the end of this without this going precisely the way that it did, which is awesome. Mm, totally. Yeah. But yeah, I was, I was, my mistaken understanding made for a very, very jarringly dramatic episode going forward. Well, it's not in this episode where that's fully detailed. No, I, but oh, oh yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, gotcha. it, it isn't until next episode where they talk about being able to visualize it. She's like, maybe I can move it if we can see it in the mirror. Gotcha. But they're also talking about like translating languages. This is where we get the the God hates me bit. They talk about Adamic, which is the or Adamic, Adamic. I think it's Adamic, which is the original language of humans and being from Adam and Eve in the garden and the tree of knowledge. This also solidifies that we had talked about this in the last season, this solidifies the idea of there actually being a God in this world, like a capital G God. Well, I mean, we're dealing with the Catholic church. Yeah. But this, these are people of whom are like fighting against God or believe that they're going to be struck down by God. So like, I didn't think for me when we talked about it last season, I was like, I don't know if the church, if God is real at all in the context of this story, right? Like it doesn't, we got mm-hmm. this we got the opposite picture but it seems as though that's not a reciprocal thing in any way but i think that we do get some notes of like holy water being effective and then that working which is interesting so that maybe gives the perception that the world paints that god is real i still don't know the answer to that but it does seem to give mm-hmm. more evidence yeah yeah it seems to be yeah there's something truly magical about Yes. What happened right. to that water? Yeah. So I would think 
even though it was a cast into hell and retrieved soul of a bad priest still able to call upon god to bless an entire fucking river yeah i wonder what later like centuries old implications of that will be if it'll stay (laughs) stay holy well it seemed to not at the very end of it there was something that made me believe that it's not actually holy anymore after it all got swept up and spun and like the castle teleported there seemed to be something there i would have to rewatch it but it didn't seem like it was because either it hit some demons or it hit a vampire and it didn't kill them at that point when it very clearly was boiling them alive and murdering them before. Yeah. Like a short-term yeah. cast or something. Yeah. yeah. Right. Is this the episode where the three fight or the four fights happen with Trevor? Or is that the beginning of the next episode? That is episode six. So okay. yeah, that is the next episode. So gotcha. we'll move on there. Oh, this, but we do end the episode with the beast slamming on the roof. And that's where she's like, oh, that might, might be God. And they, they're like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, that's something else. <laughs> Knocking at the door. See, he hates me. She says it so yeah. like casually. Yeah. Nonchalant about the whole thing, which is excellent. All right. With that, we get into episode six. Episode six is titled The River. Our summary, does he really have what it takes to live up to his family's reputation? It's time for Belmont to pick his fate. Also, Dracula prepares for the fight. That is the most worthless summary that I've ever read on the show, actually. That was pretty garbage. (laughs) (laughs) I know that people actually have to go in and write these, and they're very difficult because you only have so many characters. I've said that before on the show. This one's bad. This This one should have been redrafted. Yeah, entirely. (laughs) Someone forgot to do this, and someone unaffiliated with this job filled in. (laughs) Yeah, we... We love you, whoever was doing this. You probably weren't making very much money, but also whoever your manager is should have put this back on your table and been like, can we try one more time? (laughs) Dracula Uh, prepares for the battle, too. It's also Dracula prepares for the fight. Also, (laughs) just like an addendum to the entire idea. And plus also. (laughs) And plus also. In addition... It starts with, does he really have what it takes to live up to his family's reputation? Who is he? You can't start that without referencing it before, but you do reference it after. It's time for Belmont to pick his fate. So, mm, I don't have as big of a problem with that. Oh, I've got, I've got but a big beef with that grammatically. That's not good. It's, I mean, no. You don't even know yeah. who you're talking about in that summary until you say the second part. Right. If I just end, yeah, and I'm I'm reading it. But in also order. in the context of the show, living up to his family's name, who do you think that's talking about? His family's reputation. It could be either Alucard or Belmont. If it's just that sentence, it could that could have been the intention. I think that's bad. That's fine. There's, I'm, there's I'm, not try, I'm just trying yeah. to I'm trying to defend this poor yeah. fired soul's body. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably writing many other descriptions. They're probably doing great. Or they've moved on from copywriting to actual work. Not actual work. Copywriting is... <laughs> Maybe not. But holy shit. I'm so sorry. Copywriting is actual work. I know copywriters. Oh my god. Cool. With that, let's actually talk about the episode. So let's actually talk about the episode. We This is where we get that cool fight scene that we've talked about a bunch. And, and sort of the beginning of like really appreciating appreciating the way the combat is done 
in this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get a variety of so improv uh, improv weapons, I guess, mm-hmm. that get smaller and smaller and smaller <laughs> yeah. until he's like, I am wielding a stick. Fear me. <laughs> yeah. Basically. And he uses that stick into the next episode, which is funny. Yeah. And it's the demon stick that he's he stole at one point, which again gets to that, like, you pick up the tool, you use the tool for the job that it's meant for, sort of nature of the game, too, where it's like you gradually build your set of gear that you're you're attacking and killing people with. It's the best example of a boss dropping loot and then picking it up and then using it against the big boss in the next episode, which is solid. There's a comedic note in here, too, before he actually makes the choice. He's confronted by Alucard. You know, they've got two things that they need to do looking in the mirror so that they can actually lock this down and see it so that they can do the magic to begin with. And then you've got Sypho, of whom has to actually do all of the spell shit. And so that leaves our boy Trevor to make a choice between whether or not he's going to fight the demons or is he going to be a wuss and not do anything and run away again that Alucard presents him with. But he he makes the right choice, of course, for the family's legacy and reputation, as our poor copywriter wrote. But he he fucking puts the board up to the door because he's like, I don't want to do it, kind of maybe, at the last minute. And he, like, grabs a board and he's trying to, like, can I, like, nail this down somehow? And then he, like, kind of puts it up against the door handle and it falls. And it's just like, that's so fucking funny. It's <laughs> just like, maybe, maybe this will hold him. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know what I thought of that, but it was it was very funny in like in juxtaposition with his conversation with Saifa about mm-hmm. being useful and like getting something done. It reminded me of when he was like super hungover towards the beginning of the yeah. first season, which we don't really see. We don't see him drinking at all this season, do we? There's a bit in the first episode where he's holding a bottle. He finds a bottle, but the bottom's broken. And she asks if he was drinking because he was kind of acting like he used to when he was drinking. And he's like, I wish. But yeah, I don't think he drinks at all. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But it, I I don't think it's by choice. I think it's just mm-hmm. by circumstance. But he might want out. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think it's I think it's by circumstance, more or less. But it would be interesting at this point to give him that choice or that luxury of making that decision. So mm. I think that would have been an interesting move if they would have done that. And may I, I think we're being set up to see that. Mm-hmm. It's it's circumstance right now, but it's proving yeah. that he can do it so it can be a choice later. Right, right. Yeah, I think I totally agree with that. I think you're right entirely. There's a line here that said too. I think by Alucard, who's talking to him and he says, your involvement will directly change the nature of this battle. And I couldn't help but immediately think of the way that that was delivered and go, this is a shift. The paradigm would have worked perfectly here if we could just use that instead of the the whole like there's two sentences that describe the same idea that Darrow says so often. And I was like, come on. Come on, dude. I just, you know, I got immediate Darrow flashes in my mind. Mm. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So the the castle teleports, which is cool as hell. Still always. sick. Still sick. <laughs> Still super cool. It lands there. And then we see the river scene that we've depicted before. The guy going to the river, doing the whole thing. What'd you make of the the reveal of the betrayal, as it were? Oh man, I I was so 
I was still so pulling for Isaac to have been ahead of them. Mm-hmm. For this to still still be their edge, but yeah. That line of have we met resistance? No, we've met betrayal. Whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Very well delivered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, mm-hmm. it's brilliant. This show is brilliantly written in a lot of those ways where it's like it is just perfectly plotted i i genuinely think i probably would have said i think we did say there hasn't been a better video game adaptation unfortunately the last of us is out now for the most part (laughs) and it's pretty damn good (laughs) so i think we i think we got a couple that are neck and neck for that top spot arcane is also incredible so there's three but yeah i feel pretty good about saying those are the top three (laughs) so arcane i feel different about um, there is an love existing it. story, like, yeah. but yeah. it's it's not quite an adaptation. It's a story about some yeah. of the characters that exist within that world. This yeah, feels right. more like an adaptation in the same sense that The Last of Us does. I never played The Last of Us, but I'm fucking loving the show. Yeah. There's another episode yeah. tonight that I'm going to right. try to watch. We'll see. Totally we'll find out, but yeah, I I definitely agree with you, and I do really like this. For the record, I, I was definitely tr- not trying to sell this short. This is also this is such a side tangent from what we were talking about with the teleporting castle, but I I want to take it for just a second. This is actually to me a pitch perfect example of an adaptation. The idea of taking like a core foundational world, taking all the pieces. And then spinning them out so that they feel appropriate, but telling a story with those chess pieces versus just taking text and turning it into this exact same product. Because this is not the story that's told in the games. There are a lot of components that are here. The The basis of Lisa is from the foundational bits of the story and like the entire quest of Vlad, but like Godbrand isn't there at all. He's a great tool. Carmilla isn't used in the same way, but is a character across the board and a minor antagonist that comes up a couple of times. I believe, I don't believe that there's a game that Alucard and Trevor fight with each other on the same side. So there's like a lot of these different components that it's like you're bringing so much cool stuff together to make a brilliant adaptation of a bunch of disparate ideas. Do you know if there was anyone on the writing staff that worked with the game design or the game writing? I'll be curious. I'll come back with an answer for that on the next episode. So I'll I'll look, but I'm not aware at the moment. I'd probably have to do a little bit of digging. But At the very least, they seem to... uh, this is total, totally naive. I don't know for sure, but it feels like they are very much respecting the story of the games. Of the games that I played, yeah, but obvious liberties. So, like, well, yeah. I think the first thing to think about for me, at the very least, especially given the context that I have, is this is just a well-told story, regardless of the skin that it's in. Like, that's first and foremost, is you're not leaning or depending on anything else. And this is just a good good story with great dialogue. And it is also an adaptation of a thing. So there is some, like, added fun there. If you can draw those connections. It's more like, it's more like Easter eggs as opposed to the full breadth of a thing. Okay. If that yeah. makes sense. Last of Us comparison that isn't really a spoiler 
the comic books feel like Easter eggs because they use identical titles. There's a couple of posters on walls that are bigger things that you see in the game more frequently that are also on the same walls or that are tie-ins to other things. So there's Easter eggs in in both of these good examples, and they aren't – neither is exactly a one-to-one replication of its original source material. So mm-hmm. anyway. Cool. So they teleport. We see the river be corrupted and we begin to see the effects, of course, as it does kill the demon pastor of whom seems to dissolve. We hear his crummy, <laughs> shitty voice again. Man, that guy. That guy. But I love that you call Fuck it corrupted. The, <laughs> the corrupted water? Yeah. I mean. I, the holy I water? It, yeah, it's corrupted. It's corrupted. <laughs> what do you mean? Cypher would say it's corrupted. That's, I mean, at its core, you're not wrong. It's right. just typically those are Oh yeah, it's like, it's a little oxymoronic. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. You're right, but that ascribes. I, I think that entire idea ascribes a morality onto that. And as we talked about in season one, we our moralities are kind of inversed here, or at the very least, are not presented as just a fight of good and evil outright. It's two two evils, even though they view themselves as opposing forces. And then our trio are is are the good guys. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway. That's that's just an, another side tangent on the whole thing. But good point. Good point. It is a bit of an oxymoron. <laughs> and yeah, then we we see the sort of strategery that Camilla has pulled off by bringing in the, the full Styrian military or most of the Styrian military, as far as we're aware, with her armor on, knocking out the bridge to kill a bunch of these folks to reduce the total numbers of the generals that are about to invade Baralia, as well as kind of imprisoning on this little like side of land draculus that he wouldn't be able to move across the bridge without their say so right as they try to capture him so yeah did they have a plan for the teleportation i think get to him okay (laughs) you know like get it seemed to especially in all of our understandings it seems to take a decent amount out of him to teleport so that was the only other thing is like it's a draining process it felt like yeah, and clearly teleporting too many times will just fucking melt the engine. Yeah, right, right. Could be the other side of it, too. That could be the other problem, is that like he can't teleport immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they were just trying to get to him first. Okay, I can get behind that. I love the dipping the castle into the water and clearing out basically everybody on the ground floor. So yeah, they're they're obviously <laughs> like, oh my god. So this goes from like brilliant perfect strategic plan to trevor fighting off the beasts to then moving to cypher and cypher and alucard like holding the mirror open which is i love we talked about this in season one i love that mirrors are used as a source of magic for vampires in this show and this Mm -hmm. was just another example of like oh that's so cool because generally mirrors are proof that you are not a vampire so it's just another fun spin but Sypha not having the spell perfectly worked out like trying to teleport and just like moving it a couple of inches and then moving it again and like the splash of water that equalizes the army and then accidentally like you said dipping it in and wiping out the entire first floor <laughs> of soldiers that are fighting it's just like I just went well what the fuck's that mean <laughs> where's this going <laughs> mm-hmm. it was so good speaking of Sort of a twist on things as far as vampires go. We don't get a lot of the really traditional like weaknesses that vampires have. We get the the stake through the heart thing. Mm-hmm. But we don't get anything that I can remember with silver. 
Mm-hmm. Rushing water doesn't seem to be a problem because they had to bless it. Like if if rushing water was a problem, they wouldn't have to bless the water. Yeah, right. Well, I think I think that was specifically to even out the numbers. So like crossing waters is a big thing for vampires. Like that's the thing. You can't cross rushing water. Is that what it was? Okay. Yeah. No, like historically, mytho- mythologically. Yeah, as a comparison. Which um which I is also I, unaddressed here. Um, I think that that's why they blocked him off on that island, though, so that he also couldn't leave. So then if they could break the engine, it was basically like he was trapped. I thought that's what it was, or the idea Yeah, but then why, why bother blessing the, yeah. the water? It, it's addressed early on. There's also on, another question with garlic. Godbrand. Yeah. Like season one garlic being a sort of precautionary thing that he mm-hmm. laughs at. Like... Mm-hmm. Any of them are just completely like thrown out and it still feels so vampire, you know, mm-hmm. like I, yeah. I just appreciate that they're able to do that. Yeah. And this this harkens back to the Isaac episode, but he says, invite me on your threshold. And I question whether or not that ne- the necessity of that invitation is because of the base vampire lore or if because, again, he just respects Isaac that much that he's asking. Because it seems like he's already passed Isaac when he goes to visit and recruit him. Like he's already yes. moved into the house. Yeah, so it's it's a formality of like allow, again, like leveling the playing field between the two of them. Which I think is brilliant. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, so good. So meaty. So tasty. But yeah, to your point, it there is like this constant question of like, which ones are legit? Which ones aren't legit? <laughs> which I think is great. It's great to keep mm. us on our toes. So, yeah. But yeah, I don't I don't think we to your point, I don't think we've gotten anything with silver yet. Unless the morning star is silver. In the game it is, but I think in in this it just seems to be blessed or some sort of forgery, like just forged weapon. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That that's interesting. We can dig into that. Again, we're coming back to talk about season 3, so We'll answer some of these unanswered questions maybe in the in-between, either by the season or by rewatching or engaging with the wikis or whatever we need to do. So Forgetting yeah. that we asked the questions entirely in the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. True. <laughs> True. I love, I love the line that Trevor has about there being the Belmonts still being alive and like them not being able to, to kill them. Like mm-hmm. they're still Belmonts and so you will not go further than this was just such a good moment of him embracing that choice to actually fight back yeah and embracing the the family and the role yeah obviously we already talked about this but the episode mostly ends with that backfired gambit with the holy water killing a bunch of people hector and Carmilla barely make it out staying in brial but the castle does end up being teleported almost directly on top of the belmont estate so any any thoughts on that what a place to put it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get into our seventh episode here for love. This is such a good episode. So the summary, with nothing less than the future of humanity at stake, Belmont, Elicard, and Sypha do battle with their immortal enemy, Dracula. Let it be known. I see the pun that you did, copywriter. I see the pun. With the stake and the Dracula and the mortal enemy mortal enemy like <laughs> they're immortal enemy yeah they're so <sighs> this is a better written one this this is this is clever i i like this 
<laughs> just have to give some credit back. Lot, lot it right back. Do you think it's the you same writer, it. or is this I, the, oh, yeah. the replace? This is the plucky <laughs> intern that suddenly got a got a shot. <laughs> no. No. no, I want to believe it's the same writer and not a new writer. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> All right. So we, we've begun to see the red moon and I, I just had like this question of like, is it actually red or is this like his bloodlust that's fueling the red moon? The red moon is a feature of the games occasionally, depending on the game, that kind of shifts the level design and like what you can access or what you can't access. Mm. It's a stage basically of, of where you hit in the game in some games. So I thought that was an interesting homage. Yeah. I yeah, want to know your cool. thoughts. Didn't really make super big note of it because it just seemed like a cool title or like intro shot yeah every time the moon is on screen it's red again and dracula's eyes are also red at the same time so it's like both things changed mm-hmm. at once i did notice his eyes and you see you see that bloodless go away mm-hmm. right before in the bedroom yeah yeah in the bedroom when he's coming to the realization that he's trying to kill his son yeah horrifying mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Is the red is the moon red after that still? No. So that's again the moon shifts when okay. his eyes shift. So we see a shot out the window of the moon and the light coming in and the way that that changes even on the floor. Hmm. So there's a lot of subtle things that are great about the moon throughout this episode. I made note of this earlier, but I really loved the the moment where they're like, okay, well, we have to climb out of this and we can't use the stairs, so let's go find some rope. Again, a great homage to the way that the maps change throughout the games and the way that sometimes paths are blocked and you can't go back in certain areas. Because demons uh, fell on it. Because demons fell on it. And so you got to go a different way around and out the castle. It's a big, big thing. We then get to the fight scene of the castle. Right. So we then move into the first fight of dispatching the sort of council of generals that remain. And they're they're the unnamed ones. They're the ones that have never talked, but that we've seen in almost every scene. They've killed people with Godbrand. And what a fight it is as our trio kind of combines and makes this push into the castle. Yeah, I there was the one decapitation right away. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're in it, bud. We're in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's the uh, the ice wall split that happens as like there's that entire duel that Sypha has with the, the one guy that like attacks her very directly. And he's like running on the wall and you're like, oh, shit, that's that's clever. And then she just swings it up through him. And we never see like the two sides of him split in half. But we know that that's what happened because we see the blood f- spray which is just a great depiction would have been cool to see though Mm -hmm. there's also alucard's sword of which flies and fights kind of not by itself it's definitely controlled by him and guided but the way that he withdraws it by pulling the sheath off and just having it float there very what's his name from guardians of the galaxy i know exactly who you're talking about it's peter quill's dad um mary poppins y'all whistle dude Whistle dude, whistle dude. Are you just Googling oh whistle dude? Oh my God, Yondu. I did literally yeah. type in Peter Quill whistle guy. <laughs> Yondu, Jesus, couldn't remember it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, reminded me of that immediately. A little bit less whimsical about it. Mm-hmm. Just as effective, I think. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. And I, I thought that it depicted the idea of like this magical sword very in a very unique way that I've um because of the coloring between that and the morning star 
I believe this sword is made of silver. Like all of the like, it's just more of a white metal, like mm-hmm. the Morning Star is, than the rest of the sort of weaponry in the show. Yeah, uh, but yeah. that doesn't seem to be addressed at all, as far as I can recall. Yeah, I, d- I don't think so. Again, it is silver though, which is very similar to also my God name Trevor's sword, as well as silver in appearance. So there's that. But yeah, Alucard's like fencing rapier in the game. I thought this was a really interesting spin on the depiction again. The special ability of the sword in Symphony of Night is to teleport you behind for a quick slash and then to jump back or for the sword to jump behind and then jump back to you. So it it's very clever to instead have it basically be like this whistle control weapon because it makes it feel better in the space of the show. But that's mm-hmm. the special use of that weapon. It's like a... <clears throat> and this is better like this is easier to explain without explaining what it actually does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. It's a warping attack. You, the sword doesn't just move, you move with it and then it comes back. But like, it's still, this is basically the same thing and adds a little bit of fun to it. I don't know if it's different in the other Alucard games, but that's how it is in Symphony of Night. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a teleporting attack. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, nonetheless, um, what of the cool. shape shifting? Also, a classic vampire trait, which I thought was well done because vampires are notably shapeshifters, and so I, mm-hmm. I loved that this was kind of thrown at us in this moment again. Um, I have never seen any media that I can recall where the shape shifting mm-hmm. is anything other than a bat, though. That's like, fair. of course it makes sense that it could happen, but mm-hmm. I was surprised by it. Yeah, let me, you know, some of this in my head is in in world is attributed to him being a dampier and not a a proper vampire, him being like a half-half, but yeah. There what book? I'm pretty sure in Dracula, Dracula shifts into a wolf. I don't remember that. Depends. I don't know if I uh, read Dracula though. Yeah. I don't think I ever did. I've I've read I read Dracula so long ago. Um I think it was 11 when I read it and it was an original uncut version. Obviously there've been some changes over time by that. I mean, it was not like a child proofed version of the book. It was not a doctor. Lots of sucking and fucking all over the place. There was some stuff where I had to go (laughs) to my stepdad and ask some questions. And he was like, it's an old book. It's a classic. (laughs) I have to have this conversation now, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a distinction of course, turning into wolves versus yeah. Otherwise, interestingly enough, here's a bit that I didn't know that I just Googled because I was like, there's some form of media, but this actually comes from Romanian folklore, which is in a similar area, of course, one of the origin points of vampires to begin with. Romanian folklore delineates that precolacy are werewolves in life, and after they die, they return as vampires. This also gave the rise to the idea that vampires can turn into animals such as wolves, dogs, owls, and bats. Hmm. So that's the starting point is this idea that when a werewolf dies or a prequel dies, that is a werewolf, it becomes a vampire. And so the oral tradition of that is instead that they can turn it the other way. That's really cool. That's kind of neat. Yeah. That's why I was like, I'll read that real quick. (laughs) But yeah. The more you know. What what did you think of the transformation? Did it come out of left field for you? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. I kind of figured that's why you brought it up. But... (laughs) I was very surprised. 
makes sense. But it worked well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was badass. <laughs> yeah, it was super cool. I was like, Pours oh, yeah. Throats out. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things that they also did really well throughout the season, and I can attribute this also to what they did in episode one with bringing Lisa back, is there are moments and shots where Alucard is so reminiscent of both of them without forcing us to stare at both of them, their faces next to each other to like make that comparison. Like his hair is so close to his mom's hair in the way that it flows around. And obviously he's got the intense jawline of, of Dracula with some of those soft features. It's just so well composed. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Initial fight scene. Good on that. Good on that. I think. Cool. So I love that in the moment in which this fight scene is happening, Isaac comes to Dracula's defense. And I just find it so fascinating that Dracula is constantly surrounded by humans and that he shows love for them so consistently. Like there's something to that. He he feeds on humans, he doesn't like them, but he understands that there's some good in them innately as individuals, maybe not as a society and species, but like he he has some love or respect from his worldliness that he's had. And so in the moment, he's like, I'm not going to let you die, even though you're willing to expend your mortal life to protect my immortal life. I'm not going to let that happen to you and sends him through the mirror um, into the desert. I thought this sad. could have like... Great scene, great motivations and explanations. Loved all of it, but I think it could have been done in an entirely different way if some of the points of the show had changed a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. if he had just confessed to killing Godbrand, this would have been a perfect out, like, well, gotta, I can't let you just get murdered by everybody else once this information comes out, so out you go. I, I think that could have worked as well. This could have um, gone elsewhere. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying for sure. But regardless, the plot of it, I thought worked. I was upset we don't get to see more Isaac thing with all of these characters, but mm-hmm. maybe next season. Yeah, I, I think so, especially given where his ends in episode eight. I also truly didn't think that this episode was going to go the way that it did because we mm-hmm. had a full another episode. You know what I mean? But how genius to do what they did and treat episode eight kind of like an epilogue and have this be our climax. Well done. Mm-hmm. For so. sure. <clears throat> but I, I love that. I loved Isaac. I truly I wasn't sure if we were ever going to come back to this character in this season. So in my note, I was like brilliantly written character on all fronts. And then we get him in episode eight. And I was like, oh, shit. Fuck. Yeah. Very important character. So mm-hmm. just backing up a little bit to that point mm-hmm. about treating episode eight like a like treating episode seven as the climax and eight as an epilogue. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can get away with that as much. Without this being a show released all in one as a Netflix like series, you know, like I could, think that's true. Yeah. Could you have a like anticlimactic season finale like that and get well, good th- ratings on it? I think what you would do is you would release two episodes at once. So you would release seven and eight together. So you might yeah. be doing a lot of shows right now are doing the beginning of the season. They'll do like two episodes or three episodes. There's a hybrid release and then they go weekly. I could see this show in different hands going where they could release weekly each episode and then mm-hmm. they release this as a two part finale. Yeah, I could yeah. see that. So, okay. You've convinced I think that me. Would work. 
<laughs> I mean, I agree with you, though. I, I think that that is the only other way to do it. You should not disconnect these episodes over the span of a week, I think, because I think you would lose some of that thread and be like, oh, OK, cool. Dracula's dead. Like, that's the end of the story. But yeah. Yeah. Especially since there's clearly so much to go. We've got two full seasons of the show left. But the who fight are they gonna scene. Fight? Yeah. Who they, who, who going who gonna <laughs> to fight? Who they gonna, what they going to do? The fight that breaks out, of course, is between our trio and Dracula. And he just bats them around like backhanding, makes him this serious threat for a solid couple of minutes. Like it's you're you're tentative because this is where I got a lot of like empathy and sympathy, a little bit of sympathy for Dracula because he really doesn't want to kill these guys. Like he doesn't feel the need to. It's kind of below him in many ways. And he's like, no, he, I don't need to kill the last of the Belmonts. I will, I guess, if you're going to make me. And <laughs> Saifi is like, OK, wizard, fine, whatever. And he's like, I'm not going to kill you, kid, right away. But then they start really hitting him back. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it. It was a very classic together we're bigger than the sum of our parts sort of team up moment <laughs> when they all. Uh, and they weren't originally, but then they do eventually get there. Mm -hmm. But it yeah. was discouraging a little bit to see them get batted around as, as badly as they did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, fuck. No. Yeah. <laughs> These guys are mush. Soon enough. Severely outclassed. And I, I think that it was well depicted in that way where it did feel stressful enough and it felt like it was pushing those boundaries and you you really are questioning for most of this like are they going to make it out yeah and the entire show makes you believe that no one has plot armor for the most part especially in the way that it disposes of so many of these characters so it was like to me Saifa's not a game character i was like are we gonna lose Saifa here yeah hmm instead we lost dracula instead before we get to the death of dracula <laughs> which i do want to talk about we get the Dracula, so after they, they fight against the odds and they begin delivering blows, they push back this giant meteor, and we begin a proper son-father fight, of which really changes as he's been injured now and Alucard is kind of put on the other footing. And there's so many cool things that happen here, but my favorite is that we go through all of the rooms that we've seen in the castle as they fight through everything. And it feels like those stage change final boss fights from, from the game again, where it's like I'm being drugged through all of the chambers that I've seen. A lot of them have minor changes because like, obviously the battle that's gone on, there are broken windows. The machines are melted down when they go into that room that was previously dark is now like molten red with the hot of the, or the heat of the, the, the whole transferal spell. It's just also cool. It's super cool. It's well depicted. Yeah, a level design. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it is It is literally level design. How dare you? But yeah. And, and also the other side of that is like mostly reusing assets. I get it. You've already drawn it. You can use it again. That's cool. I don't care. But it also it's such a good representation of that being done well and like kind of tricking us in a, in a fun way, I think, as they fight through their home. Right. Culminating in his room. Mm-hmm. Culminating Surprisingly, what do you think would have happened if they didn't end up in in Alakar's room? <laughs> I think they would have ended up in the kitchen in front of a family photo. <laughs> yeah, okay. somewhere else. He's gonna, you know, it's gonna stop in one of those rooms. There's gonna be a memory somewhere that that would stop him. I think the the room is just maybe the most apt, especially as it also is home of a tool that can 
you know, kill Dracula. He even gets him spiked once, and Dracula's like, ah, my heart isn't there. <laughs> Not close enough. Yeah. But then we, we move to that moment in, in the room, the eyes finally losing the color as he realizes that he's trying to kill his son. We do get the line earlier on in this episode that we said it way earlier, but the, the world's longest suicide note, or like the most That's death, such like the, a good it's such a brilliant delivery between them. Yeah. And the whole way that all of all of the dialogue in this is handled is brilliant. Yeah. And then the death. Mm-hmm. The death of Dracula. The death of Dracula. And mm-hmm. beheading and burning. Which is how Dracula dies in the Dracula Bram Stoker novel. He's not burned. He is staked and then beheaded. I believe that house is burned later, if I remember correctly. But that I don't think is the immediate parallel. I think the immediate parallel is that he also dies the same way that Lisa dies, being burned alive. or being But not alive. Yeah, yeah, being burned in the same way. I think that's why they did that symbolically, is like... Well, There's that connection. Yes and no. They they say let's finish this. Like like it has to be done in order to kill him. Yeah. I think it's a guarantee that he dies if that makes sense. I agree mm-hmm. with you. I think that yes, yes and I would also say that there's something symbolic there. There is some for sure there's yeah. something symbolic yeah. about it. Right. Heaven versus hell. Does Lisa go to heaven? Cuz I don't think Dracula goes to heaven. Probably not. Probably not. Um, <laughs> here's my pitch is that I think everyone goes to hell. I think that's I think that's the end all be all of this. I that think it's could a, be. Wow, I almost just spoiled a huge TV show, but I'm not going to do that. Like a full, I almost spoiled a full show in a breath, and I thankfully stopped myself. But yeah, I I think that that's likely, and then they'll see each other again in hell. I love the that show. All dogs go to heaven. That was it. Yep, that's <laughs> that's it. All dogs go to heaven. That was, but that was only dogs. <laughs> Except the uh, hellhounds, who they they somehow yes. smuggled into hell. I did. I did want to ask when after Dracula gets staked, he's kind of reaching forward for Alucard, and the nails in particular seem to be kind of going for his face. Do you think that's like a last instinct defensive thing that his body is doing in the moment, or do you think that he's like trying to reach to hug him? What do you think he's doing in that moment? Hmm. is he falling forward which could also be a thing like he does seem to have some kind of cognition like he's not fully dead until his head gets chopped off i because his eyes are already like he's already resolved that he wasn't going to kill him yeah i saw it more as a like reaching towards his child Mm -hmm. yeah but the nails kind of make that awkward well exactly that's why it's like is this like a you know involuntary Mm -hmm. reaction is it voluntary there's some ambiguity there. Yeah, I saw it more as a parent reaching towards their child kind of deal, but didn't think sense. about it too closely. So yeah, I don't. I don't think it warrants a ton of inspection, but I think it is an interesting note, and I'm curious as to what the impression is. If you've seen this, you know, let us let us know what you thought. Mm-hmm. Go rewatch that. So obviously he's beheaded, which from the other side, Trevor probably doesn't see the fact that he's actually like dead at that point or like dissolving and just kind of sees what's happening with like him reaching forward and just chops his head off as a final blow. Yeah. So mm. Everyone gets their killing blow. Kill steel. Kill steel. <laughs> it's a sad episode. Did mm-hmm. you expect Dracula to die? Yeah. Me Not neither. this season. I, I really like, I really thought this season was going to be a like 
I thought halfway through the season they were going to confront Dracula and realize Carmilla is a bigger threat in the immediate. So they have to like divert and work together to defeat Carmilla. Yeah. Before resuming the fight against the big bad. Yeah. Dracula. Dracula. Vlad Tepish. Yeah. I think... I, I agree with you. I think that's kind of my my end all be all is I was definitely on the same page of, okay, we're going to get, we're going to resolve the conflict against Carmilla inside of this season with kind of Godbrand as that minor antagonist. Then we're going to get to Dracula in the next season. Like I thought it was going to be paced that way, but it's interesting. I'm I'm very interested to see what the story is without Dracula. Not that there are, there aren't compelling other characters, but it's going to be very interesting. We've been lingering in this this trauma of loss of for Dracula for so long that I'm I'm curious as to what we present next. Yeah, I mean right now effectively there's an army without a leader and a war without reason. I mean God, Carmilla has done a pretty good job of inserting well herself as the leader. Yeah. And giving reason. Mhm. But that reason is entirely vanity. It's not like revenge. So what's going to happen to the morale of the army if they have morale? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't quite know how the lower level vampires react if they are mind- mindless to a certain degree in their service. I view it as more futile. They're supposed to, you know, they're just caught up in serving, right? But the the night beasts, the creatures that the devil forgers make, I think are more mindless. Not right. entirely, but more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely an interesting proposition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I felt bad for Alucard, man. It was it was tough. This this entire bit was like Man, you get it. I've I've seen this scene, you know, a couple of times in other media, and this this hit though. This was it was good. I felt it. Yeah, it was a necessary thing. It yeah, it really did. It felt good. Yeah. Cool. All right. With that, we've got one final episode to talk about here. End times. With the war between humans and vampires seemingly settled, the survivors, both good and evil look toward the future to that point that we were just talking about the fact that this episode did end like episode seven ends all of those arcs episode eight ties up a lot of things and also pours open that we also have stuff that we have to deal with yet so it it gives a lot of both of being like the show will go on without dracula just like the games do every antagonist in all of the games is not dracula he is in several of them, but many of them are other vampires, other people. So mm-hmm. the show must go on. The show does go on. <laughs> There's another faction that's been born mm-hmm. through Isaac. Yep. Who knows what's going to happen with Hector? Yeah. Is Hector he going to see that Carmilla. he's had the wool pulled over his eyes or is he going to fall in step with Carmilla? I think probably yeah. that one. <laughs> It well, yeah, it feels like he doesn't really have a choice, right? And now he feels it's so interesting. He was choosing it for so long, and now that that's been pulled because he actually is a pet and is not treated with equality, it's such a good juxtaposition. Hector and Carmilla versus Isaac and Dracula, given that they both gave loyalty the way that they did and the way that the vampire then treated them in turn, I just think is 
lovely, especially in the way that it finally ties those up as differing points in the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh. is Alucard and Alucard? Card. They're yeah. D. Alucard. Yeah. Like there, there's a split there. Mm-hmm. So he's he's watching over the castle and the Belmont estate. Mm-hmm. So Trevor and Sypha are off. Like everything is splitting. Mm-hmm. And that's going to make for a much more complicated storyline, I think, if all of them continue. Yeah, I'm I'm interested. I'm wondering, and I think we should maybe do a final round of predictions since we are going to go forward into three and four that maybe we should talk about. But I would like to thematically return. So predictions on split. I want to hit something that we talked about just a smidge earlier, but I said we were going to talk about right at the end, which is that idea of Alucard inheriting both of the homes, being gifted one and inheriting the other as needing to take it and not making it a grave, but making it a reality of the two sides of himself and a home of knowledge in both cases. He's got a foot in both camps, so why not embody that? It's It was such a good ending that I did not see coming mm-hmm. for Alucard at all. Yeah. It's it's really hard. I think fitting though. I think I think it works well. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's 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 interesting. Just that idea of like he God, in the earlier episode you made the point that he God damn it. About the vampire side of himself and not willing to admit, like not even see the other side of himself and Trevor doesn't say anything in the moment or doesn't make any commentary back, right? And this is kind of that that thing of like, well, you shouldn't be depressed or sad because you're more than just that vampiric side of you. You are, you know, you're a dampier properly. You've got your mom in you too. Right. And you literally fought, you know, an embodiment of hell on earth who does happen to be your father. Like you did, did kill your dad, but also he was doing bad stuff. What? I, I wonder what the rules on like vampiric royalty go. Like, is he now, the leader of the vampires like Dr- Dracula was that's or is interesting it more, is it less regal than that I viewed it as a tyranny not mm. as a a royalty if that makes sense okay. not that like he was a he was just the agreed upon leader because he was the leader it could be tyrannical perhaps but yeah mm-hmm. I mean if it's a if it's a appointed by strength kind of deal they did mention yeah. that he's almost as strong as Dracula was like mm-hmm. Godbrand, I think was talking about that. Yeah. Right. I wonder if he'd try to make a play for power over the vampires. Interesting. Or if he yeah. could, if he, if he has that option available to him. Right. Kind of hard yeah. after the place teleported. <laughs> and he has no <laughs> way of getting back there, but yeah, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's cool for for Alucard to be that steward, but I am curious if he would be, you know, that. He's obviously still in the region, but he can't, you know, immediately compete for for that. Isaac's storyline obviously ends with him heading off to Styria. We had mentioned Styria is also a country in the first law and so i keep thinking of a completely different set of characters (laughs) (laughs) and my brain is having a tough time sorting those two (laughs) good but we get we get that pair heading that way 
Isaac's moment, though, where he is in and drinking the water and then is confronted with the five men and the way that he just dispatches them is so fucking cool. That was such a good scene. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's the dead guy that's on the horse and the horse is just continuing to trot around a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then he falls at one point in one of the scenes like there's violence going on. But in the background, you can just see that he's leaned out. He's like bled so much that now he's laying over on the horse. And the horse just continues walking around slowly. Yeah. A lot of small details in the show. Horses don't give a shit, man. (laughs) No, not in the slightest. They couldn't care. (laughs) Blinders on, baby. But Isaac also didn't want to choose violence. He was like, we can share this. This is fine. And then was confronted with the old you know, the things that he's already seen in humanity. And so it kind of reaffirms what he believes in a big way when he wanted to maybe give a chance otherwise. But he gets to decide that he wants an army of his own and is given the means to start building that. Mm -hmm. Cool. And then we get the only other real ending to talk about here, of course, is the final bits with Sifa and Trevor as they head off for the future and their journeys together. What would you make of, of their end? We keep changing the name, the way we pronounce her name. Is it Sypha or Sypha? I think it's Sypha. I think it's Sypha. I think it's Sypha. Yeah, I keep saying it's Sypha, though. But yeah, Sypha. I think they are going to stick together. Mm-hmm. Um, it really makes me want to say, like we talked about towards the beginning of this episode, that they'll end up romantically together. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah. I think with two seasons, it's possible. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I think it's time for predictions. We've got a couple. I think we can pretty much lay these out as the the characters, right? So we don't have to do them all, but I think that we disagree on the relationship. Well, maybe not disagree, but we should both put down what we think on the relationship. So do you think they'll get together? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, no. I think there's going to be some romantic tension, but I don't think that they're going to end up together. Tension don't end up together. I think that this is the end of the line for the line of Belmonts, and I think they're going to get together. Going to have a kid. All right. Prediction on Isaac. Bad? Is he going to be a good guy? Where, where does he come in? I I think it's going to be less clear than that. <clears throat> he is going to be kind of a maybe not guns for hire but force ready to be persuaded to join he obviously has no affiliation with with the other vampires with carmilla so i think he will have to be persuaded to join the fight against carmilla but won't take action on his own yeah i think part of me believes that he might seek revenge against hector for the betrayal Mm, i could see that but I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. That's that's what I would kind of pin it up to. I think otherwise. Well, if if here's here's my perspective. If Hector is still with Carmilla via force, I think that that will directly oppose them against each other. Although maybe he is leveraging a trade, an army for the man. You know, like I'll fight on your side if you give me Hector. Hmm. Okay. I'm not sure about that, but yeah, it, it's a little bit <clears throat> sort of his mind. chaotic third force i guess yeah i'll put that down as mine for sure i guess that leaves alucard or hector or carmilla i mean do you have any other predictions that you want to make i guess i think alucard is 
going to be mostly untouched in the next season. I think he makes a return for season four. But I think just the way that they split off, I think they're going to be mostly mostly separate. And I think he's get, his story is going to be retold in season four. I think I agree with you because I think that that would give time to process and grow. The other side of me, of whom is a glutton for what storytellers will do sometimes, is they'll justify his re-inclusion in the story by like going to war with Camilla and being recruited later after they discover something. But I think I'm going to agree with you, but I just have to put out that skepticism, if that makes yeah, sense. Really but I think a, I agree with an you. Option. That's what I would do. I would let that character rest. But Alucard is a fan favorite from the games. So... Because Symphony mm-hmm. Night is probably might be the biggest game or might have been the biggest game, but okay, cool. Other any other predictions? I mean, Carmilla is going to be trying to gain as much power within the vampire world as possible. Like she's positioned herself as the leader of it by force. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that makes her like next season's big bad? Yeah. Okay. Who else would it Bye. be? I, like, I can't think of who else would really be. A third party, I think, is my, my answer would be we have an in-between. And like maybe it's a holding pattern for a season. But I would prefer if it picked up Carmilla. So I'm going to agree with you entirely. But I think there's a possibility of it going into what is Castlevania, if not a, also like just a beast hunting game to some degree. Like they are vampires and they're other people. But as mentioned, Isaac was a villain for Hector's game. And he's not a vampire, he's a forge master. They're both forge masters. So mm-hmm. I I think that can all live together though. Like Carmilla oh, sure. being the yeah. big bad doesn't mean she gets addressed next season entirely. Yeah. Uh, like like again, Dracula totally in season agree. one, you know? Yeah. Oh exactly. So I, I think that I agree with you entirely. Cool. Any anything else that's lingering on the brain brain? brain. Not at the moment. Cool. All right, man. Well, anything else that you think that we didn't hit on in the show? I just, it's, this is so fucking good. I was this so was, pleased. This is super fucking good. Thank you so um, much, Ragnar, for putting this forward. I, I don't have a definitive ranking of my favorite TV shows, which I should probably do and like break out miniseries and TV shows separately. I don't know. But this is up there. It's definitely well within the, the canon of some of my favorite things that mm-hmm. I've watched. So. absolutely agree very excited for season three we will get to it for patrons as soon as possible of course because this is coming out early to our patrons but it might be a month or two before it's released on the public feed so if you're not subscribe at the bartender or the mixologist rank and you can get in on these early to listen back to them before they go live we do all of them early for the patrons with the exception of the year of sanderson ones because those are almost always us just making sure that we get it out on time for everyone so with that thank you so much for listening to our show be sure to check out all of our social media you can find us at words whiskey pod on twitter instagram facebook reddit probably something else that i'm forgetting you can email us any juicy questions or comments or whatever at words and whiskey show at gmail.com. And if you'd like to get in on any of the perks, join our discord, whatever, if you're not already in there, you can go to patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey. 
Yes, very exciting. As PJ had mentioned, you can find all of those things. Next month, we are going to be... So there are a couple of things that we've got going on. One, at this point, we've wrapped up The Legend of Vox Machina. Go check out those episodes. You're going to really enjoy that kind of four-part. If you like this, make sure that you check that out because that fourth episode wrapping up the full season should be out at the point that this is published publicly. So go check that out. But next month, we are going to be talking about the second book in Brandon Sanderson's Year of Sanderson Secret Project release, Secret Project Two. The only thing that we know about this one, that I know about this one, because I've kept it secret and you also know this, or I've at the very least mentioned it, this is the only non-Cosmere book of the four. So it is going to be a completely different world, a completely different kind of story. It'll be interesting. I'm I'm excited. I've only read, outside of the Wheel of Time books, I'm not going to count those, I've only read one non-Cosmere Brynn Sanderson novel. So is this within an established universe of his, or is this entirely new? I know nothing else. Don't know. Couldn't tell you. Sounds good. Because I've been keeping keeping it on keeping it on the DL. I the, there are some general things that I know about the story on accident because of the internet, and I feel less bad about it because it's not Cosmere related. But I don't. I also don't want to repeat that for anyone of who might be wanting to keep themselves completely out. Fair enough. So cool. All right. With that, see you next month. Goodbye. Bye. Three, two, one.